If you will pause with me briefly, uh, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you uh, with a painful awareness of our own weakness and foolishness, of how desperately we need you. We need your wisdom, we need your strength, we need your word, your spirit to, to be at work within us. Lord, we ask that as we approach your word now, you will help us to genuinely look into it as a mirror, to allow it to, to work within our hearts and within our lives, um, that you will be with me, that you'll help me to present it in such a way that, that will show your heart, your character, your attitude, your mind, um, that we all might uh, draw closer to you through it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's a blessing to be here today. Um, I'm thankful for the spiritual family uh, that God has blessed us with here. Uh, we have a lot of good workers, uh, a lot of good hearts, uh, a lot of sincere disciples seeking to grow, uh, to shine God's light, to do his work, uh, to draw closer to him together. Uh, I praise God for you all, and uh, I care deeply about you all. I want to continue discussing today our responsibility um, to look out for the spiritual well-being of one another. We started two weeks ago looking at the concept of reaching out to the wayward. And we see that the scriptures address time and time again the danger of drifting and wandering from the faith. And time and time again, it instructs us about our responsibility in those situations. Uh, we just read in James 5 and verse 20, if any among you wonders from the truth. Uh, Galatians 6 and verse 1, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 14, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, or he describes it as walking disorderly. And so time and time again, the scriptures instruct us uh, about this danger of wandering from the truth, of falling into sin, of uh, falling into the snare of the devil, and, and what our responsibility is as a flock, as a body, as we seek to protect one another, uh, encourage each other, help each other grow, help each other be who God wants us to be. And the primary question we want to ask above all others is how can we reflect the heart of God in those situations? How, how can we reflect his attitude? Um, what approach uh, reflects his character? Uh, and how can we be most effective uh, in reaching out and helping the weak and the wayward among us? We looked at three principles last time uh, in that focus. Uh, we talked about being proactive. Uh, our responsibility to look out for each other's spiritual well-being doesn't start when uh, we filed uh, a missing persons report or some hidden sin has finally come out into the open. We need to be looking out for one another's spiritual well-being at all times, keeping each other accountable spiritually. That, that's part of what it means to be a flock, uh, a body, a family of God's people. We need to be loving and genuine. Love covers a multitude of sins. And the number one thing that we need in seeking to help the weak and wayward is earnest, passionate, genuine love. 
Uh, We need to pour out our hearts to one another the way that God has poured out his heart to us. We need to be meek and gentle. Our approach should be one of evident tenderness. The way we speak should make it clear that we are intent on restoration, on healing, uh, not simply on rebuke. But the Bible has a lot more to say uh, about this. And I want to continue to look at some principles today about how we need to be reaching out towards the weak and wayward among us. Uh, and first of all, we need to be patient and long-suffering. If you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look in verse 14. We looked at this passage uh, at one point in our last lesson. It says here in verse 14, and we urge you brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. It doesn't matter if my brother is faint-hearted or if he's weak or if he's idle, that word can be translated disorderly. Uh, It doesn't matter if his waywardness is a symptom of spiritual weakness and discouragement or maybe a symptom of spiritual rebellion and hard-heartedness. We're instructed, be patient with them all. Any of those situations, whatever this waywardness is coming from, patience is always something that is needed. Uh, Reaching out to the wayward is not a one and done type of endeavor. Uh, It is a process. Uh, It is something that we must continually be involved in. Uh, And patience is an expression, an essential expression of love. Remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we have a lengthy description of love. And do you know how Paul starts that list? Love is patient. Or some versions say love suffers long and is kind. And if you get down to the end of that description in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7, it says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do you see how it keeps saying all things? If we were to maybe um, describe that in the terms of patience, We could say love is patient in bearing burdens. Love is patient in believing the best. Love is patient in hoping for restoration. Love is patient in enduring rejection and ill treatment. It all is coming back to that idea. Enduring, bearing, being long-suffering is this idea that love is willing to reach out again and again and again and again. Um... Just as love and gentleness are fruits of God's spirit, so is patience. Patience is an expression of the heart of God, the love of God. It's an outgrowth of his faithful love, his long-suffering nature. When you think about how God reaches out to the wayward, what what level of patience, what level of long-suffering does he show to us? You think about 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, where Peter is discussing the idea of final judgment, of Jesus coming again. And many are, are thinking, well, there's really no sign of any change. The world is just continuing the way it is day after day. Uh, I, I don't know that we have a whole lot to worry about. What, what does Peter say in that context? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, 
but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is it that the sun rose today? Well, it's a testament of God's patience. Every day that we wake is a testament to God's patience. All of human history is a testament to God's patience. If we want to reflect the character and the heart of the Father, we can't be swift and eager to cut off the unfaithful from among us. We need uh, to have this long-suffering eagerness to continue to reach out, hoping, believing uh, that they will change. Day after day, week after week, love will reach out to bear the burdens of my brother's sin. Love will believe in the goodness of his heart to change, trusting in the power of God to cleanse and transform him. Love will continue to hope against hope for some sign of growth and restoration. Love will endure unanswered calls, unkept appointments, disappointment, discouragement, and rejection, patiently waiting and working to bring the wayward sheep back to the fold. Because sometimes conviction and growth take time. I think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11 and 12. As Paul describes how he worked with uh, these young new brethren in the city of Thessalonica, he says there in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see that description there as a father works with his own children. How, how exactly does a father work with his children? What, what, is, what does that look like? Paul uses three words here to describe it. He says, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged one of uh, you and charged or implored you. This isn't a one-step process, is it? <laughs> No, it's a mini-step process. It is something that he is continuing to do day after day. Um, you know, when Aaron and I are trying to help Ruby learn something, um, what, what should that look like? What, what should it look like for a father to, to work with his child to help them learn and help them grow? Um, if we want Ruby to learn not to climb on the TV stand, um, you know, is, is that? No, no. Is that just a, a one-time thing that we, we, we instruct her once and then that, that's all we had to do? Of course not. No, we, we instruct her multiple times. Uh, and we have to repeat it and reinforce it um, and discipline and remind and warn and discipline again. Uh, and it's not something that happens in one day. Um, it's something that happens in weeks, months. I'm not sure, but maybe even years. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's what it looks like. And, and God, as he works with us, understands that there's going to be some areas that we need to grow, that we need to change. And that's not going to happen right away. And so it requires patience. It requires long-suffering. And, and, you know, the, the primary pattern where some of the men in our men's study are going to talk about this tonight uh, the primary pattern of what the, the church is supposed to look like is, is a flock, is a family. When you think about church leaders as shepherds, as you know, those who have proved themselves as heads of their own households, and now are going to exercise that same character in the dealing with the household of God, uh, that type of character 
of, of helping children grow. Uh, and the patience and long-suffering that is required is, is what we're looking at, is what God shows towards us and what we need to show towards each other. We're all growing. We all are going to have some areas that, that are going to take some time for us to be convicted, for us to change. Think about how God dealt with Peter. You remember in Acts chapter 10 when Peter is, is coming to a point where for the first time, God is teaching him and helping him see more clearly what the Old Testament was pointing towards all along, that, that the Gentiles are going to be welcomed into God's covenant people, not by becoming Jews, not by following the old law, not by becoming circumcised, but simply by being obedient to the gospel. H- how is it that God teaches Peter that? Does, Peter, d- does God just kind of come to Peter and say, okay, Peter, From now on, I want you to stop requiring circumcision. I want you to tear down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. Gentiles don't have to become Jews or follow the law to be saved. Get it? Got it? Good. Let's go. Well, that's not exactly how it works, is it? No, God shows Peter a vision in Acts chapter 10 where the the sheet comes down with all different types of unclean animals. And he says, arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter says, not so, Lord. God says, Peter, what, what I've cleansed, don't call unclean. And then God says, you know what? Let's do that again. And he brings down the sheet again. And he shows him the same vision. Not so, Lord. Peter, what I've cleansed, don't call unclean. You know what? Let, let's do that a third time. And he does it again. <laughs> and even after that, God, through his spirit, specifically has to tell Peter These men that are coming to you from Cornelius, I want you to go with them without hesitation. And so Peter goes and he travels and he has all this time to think about what it is that God is teaching him through this vision, what it is that God is doing. And he gets there and he doesn't really know exactly what's happening, but he's going to teach the gospel to these people. And so he starts teaching and God shows him very clearly, bringing down the, the gift of the Holy Spirit and the outward manifestations of that upon this Gentile household, to make it clear what he's trying to teach Peter. Uh, This wasn't a one-step process, was it? This is something that God is working in Peter's heart, helping him to to come to change the way he's thinking. And that's going to take some time. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2, even uh, presumably years after this, uh, we see as Peter goes up to Antioch, he still isn't fully applying some of the lessons that he's learned. And, and when people come up from James for appearance's sake, he doesn't treat his Gentile brethren the way that he needs to. Even then, Peter, the apostle, has some areas that, that he still needs to grow in his thinking. That he needs Paul to withstand him to the face, to rebuke him and help him recognize that he's not fully applying the lessons that God has been teaching him. You know, if Peter, the apostle, needed kind of a a process and some time and some reinforcement and some repetition to help him start learning and growing and changing the way he was thinking? Do, Do you think maybe we do? As we are working with one another and trying to help each other grow, we need to recognize that 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 is going to take time sometimes. And as we maybe are coming out of the world, coming out of of different ways of of thinking, as we have maybe developed some some more habits in our lives, it's going to take some time for us to start adjusting those priorities, for us to change the way that we think, the the habits that we've made. 
we need to show God's patience. We need to show the patience of a father with his children as we seek to reach out to each other and help each other grow. But brethren, patience by itself, time alone, isn't going to help. We need to be diligent and persistent. Time alone is not the answer. You think about the illustration in Luke 15 of a shepherd leaving the 99 and going out and looking for that one sheep who who is astray. You know, when the sheep strays from the flock, does the shepherd just kind of sit there and say, well, you know, I think that sheep might just need a little bit of time to himself out there. Um, You know, maybe we'll just kind of wait around and see if if he comes back. Well, of course not. No, every day, every hour that that sheep is away, he's in danger. And so... Yes, it might take some time, but it's not just time that it takes. No, it's effort. It is persistence. It is diligence. It is reaching out. Um, You look in Matthew chapter 18, God gives us some very definite things that we need to be doing in reaching out to those who are caught in sin among us. Matthew 18, this isn't a one-step process. But it is something that we need to actively be engaging. In Matthew chapter 18, starting verse 15, it says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, uh, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does God tell us to do when when our brother or sister is in sin? Go and talk to them about it. He he doesn't say, uh, you know, just give them some space. Wait wait around uh, to see maybe if something changes. Maybe let them cool down if they're they're angry. Don't be too pushy. Let them work through things on their own time and in their own way. That's not what he says. God says, you go and you talk to him about it. Um, And what if he doesn't listen? Well, he didn't listen. Um, I tried. No, no, he says, "You, you have more to do. You continue to reach out. You might think, well, well, he didn't listen to me. He's not going to listen. Well, you don't just try once. No, you go and, and you get some others. Maybe some others who, who can be a witness to the situation, can help talk through what's going on here. Some others that, that can be trusted, uh, who, who can address the situation um, more effectively. And you bring them and they talk with them as well. Well, what if he doesn't listen then? You continue. <laughs> You take it to the church. Um, How exactly does the church talk to this individual? Uh, I don't know necessarily that that's, you know, the the church all going collectively and talking to this person at one time. No, it seems like that's probably going to be a process where many different people are reaching out and giving multiple opportunities for this person to to listen. And, And what we find out from some other passages Uh, is even at the point where you have to uh, go to what we might call discipline here, where where you withdraw from that person, recognize they're not living in fellowship with God. They're not responding to to the Lord's direction within his word. And so we can't be in fellowship with them. We're going to consider them as as a, uh, a sinner or a tax collector. 
even then, in 2 Thessalonians, it says you don't regard him as an enemy, but you admonish him as a brother. Did, did, did the warning stop? Did, did the reaching out stop? No, it didn't. And so here, it, it's not just waiting around and not doing anything. God says you go talk to him and you go talk to him again. And you go talk to him again and again and again. And even if you have to withdraw from them, you go talk to him again. That's God's design. That's God's plan. Patience without persistence is not going to do anything. You, you think about the illustration that we were using earlier of a father with a child. You know, Ruby doesn't just need patience to grow and to learn. If, if I instruct her and she doesn't obey and she's not learning and she's not growing and she's not doing what she should be doing, I don't say, well, maybe if I just give it some time, she'll, she'll decide to, to, to follow what I said. No. No, you have to reinforce. Persistence is needed. Yes, patience is needed, but only if that's an active patience, if that's a diligent patience. God's given us responsibility. In fact, time alone can do more damage than good. Uh, if you want to look at Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11, uh, Ecclesiastes, like Proverbs, has a, a lot of just practical wisdom. And Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11 tells us, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Now, uh, this, this is applied in Ecclesiastes in a setting of, you know, government um, uh, uh, punishment of some crime. But there's a principle here. There's a principle that when, when something wrong is going on, when things aren't being handled the right way, when people are not acting the way the Lord wants them to, and we just don't address it, and we do nothing about it, what, what does that do? Well, here he says, because justice is not executed speedily, well, then people's hearts are set to do evil. That, that sets a tone. That sets an expectation. When we delay to address a problem, it's going, only going to make things worse. If there's some unfaithfulness or spiritual weakness or divisiveness within the church, and we just kind of... Well, Let's just give that some time. Well, it's going to fester. It's going to spread. It's going to set a negative precedent. It's going to lower the bar. It's going to establish ungodly expectations of what being a disciple should look like, of what being a member of the Lord's church requires of us. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 this is another one of those passages that addresses this concept of withdrawing from a brother or sister, of, of what, what we might call church discipline. And, and notice what Paul says in verse 6 through 8. As he's addressing the, this brother who uh, is uh, engaged in sexual immorality um, with his own father's wife, uh, he says here down in verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul uses an illustration here 
of what unaddressed sin does to God's people. And he describes it as leaven in a lump of dough. What, what happens with leaven if you just kind of give it some time? You know, I, yes, there's this problem here, but, but let, let's just kind of wait. Let's just kind of see what happens with it. Well, that leaven's going to spread. And it's going to affect other things. It's going to affect the entire lump of dough. No, you don't just give it some time. Do we need patience? By all means. Does God show us patience? Yes. But that needs to be a patience in which we're addressing the issue. In which we are being diligent to address the issue. Because if we don't, it's going to affect God's people. It's not just going to affect the one who is in that situation. It's going to affect others. And that, that's part of the reason that God wants us to take action when it comes to sin uh, and unfaithfulness among us. First and foremost, and we've talked about this time and time again, we're, we're, we're trying to help that person's soul. He makes that clear um, in verse 5 here, delivering them over to set, Satan, that their spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. We're hoping that they'll be convicted, they'll recognize how serious this is, that they'll come back to the Lord. But there's another reason that we need to take action here. is because their soul is not the only one at stake. Because if this goes unaddressed, it's going to affect other people. What happens when someone drifts away, stops fulfilling their obligations to the flock, stops functioning as an active working member of the body, and, and we do nothing about it? And we just kind of say nothing about it. Is that going to affect the body? Well, people see that. New members new Christians who are just beginning to develop an understanding of what being a disciple is supposed to look like, see that. And when you choose to, to stay home because the assembly is inconvenient, when you make a practice of, of skipping Bible classes and only attending the assembly, uh, and, and when you know that becomes the standard and we don't talk about it, and we don't address it, and we don't set what expectations should be, uh, then we allow a culture of neglect, a culture of weakened devotion, a culture of half-hearted service to develop among us. Brendan, that's not okay. If, if we're drifting and we're, we, can, we need to address it, we need to talk about it, because if we don't, that becomes the standard. That leaven is going to leaven the whole lump. And so, brother, people are going to struggle. I'm going to struggle. We're, we're all going to have weaknesses in areas that we need to grow. People are going to stumble. People are going uh, to have immaturities that they need to work through. That they need help to work through. And we need to be patient. And we need to be understanding. We need to be loving. We need to be gentle. But we can't just let that become the status quo. Because that's not good for them. That's not good for anybody. And so we need to have some hard conversations. If the body is going to grow, it, it takes some rebuke, some correction. That's part of what God designed for his body. That's part of what God designed for me to grow. And if we're not willing to do that, um, it's going to do damage. 
Ultimately, uh, we must be willing to do everything possible to turn back the wayward heart. Tur- turn back to Isaiah 5. We, we covered this uh, quite some time ago in our class on Sundays. But do you remember the, the parable of God's vineyard? Do you remember what God says about how he treated his vineyard? Remember, our standard here, what we're trying to be is, is God's heart. God's attitude, his approach towards working with his wayward people. Well, what does God say about how he worked with his wayward people here? Isaiah 5, starting in verse 1, it says, Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard, a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it out of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? If we're striving to reflect the the heart and the character and the attitude of God and how we deal with the the weak and wayward among us, what is that going to look like? Well, we, we need to be able to ask the question that God asks here. What, what more was there to do that, that I could have done? I, I'm afraid sometimes with how we deal with those who are, are drifting among us, the answer is, well, there is a lot that we could have done. <laughs> There's a lot more that we could have done than what we did. That shouldn't be how it is. And we shouldn't wait until months after the fact to ask that question, should we? No, we we need to be asking that question right now. We need to be asking that question, you know, day by day, week by week, as we think about how how are we dealing with the, the, the wayward? How are we dealing with those who are drifting away? We need to be able to say what God has said. What more could we have done that we didn't do? If we recognize in this moment that there's more that we could be doing, We need to do it. We need to show God's persistence and doing everything possible to help those who are drifting wake up, recognize where they are before the Lord and come back to him. That's the heart of the Father. And that's what we need to be as his people. And as we think about doing everything within our power, we need to recognize that we need to be willing to do some hard things. Last lesson, we looked at Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You know, it needs to be coming from a friend. It needs to be coming from a genuine love. We talked about that. But sometimes... The most loving and faithful thing that we can do towards others, towards the wayward, is going to be the hardest and the most painful thing. Sometimes we need to have the resolve and the commitment to to wound, to to do some things that, that aren't going to feel great, that people aren't going to like, in hopes that it will bring healing in the end. Brethren, biblical church growth does not happen without rebuke. It does not happen without correction. 
It does not happen without discipline. You know, the, the Bible talks about rebuke. The Bible talks about correction. It talks about discipline. And if we think that this church can grow and thrive and be what God wants it to be, but we just, can just kind of leave that part out, you know, I think we can grow without going there. Then we're not following the biblical pattern. No, God knows that that's what we need. That's what I need. That's what you need. And so if we're going to grow and if we're going to thrive, we can't just kind of, you know, put the hard things over there and say, well, we'll, we'll do everything, but, but we're really not going to go that far. Now, we need to be willing to do the hard things um, because they're biblical things. We need to be proactive. We need to be genuine and loving. We need to be meek and gentle. We need to be patient and long-suffering, diligent and persistent. But brethren, we also need to stand firm to draw lines where the Bible draws them and refuse to continue in fellowship with those who refuse to grow and refuse to change where God has commanded them. Ultimately, we must act according to the Lord's wisdom and authority, not our own. I want us to look at three passages that talk about this concept of, three, uh, of church discipline. And I, want us, I want you to notice something consistent in these three passages. We already looked at Matthew 18, the beginning part of this passage, where it gives us a very clear uh, process that we need to follow in addressing sin in our midst. But, but do you notice what he, continue, what he goes on to say in this passage? After he talks about going to him with one, going to him with uh, one or two others, the church reaching out to him. Verse 18, after he's talked about withdrawing our fellowship from him, it says in verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. You know, we, we like to go to that passage, verse 20 is kind of a comforting idea that God is with us when there, there is one or two together. That, that is comforting. Um, but in context... What, what, what's the focus here? He's just instructed us in how we are to deal with wayward brethren. And then he makes it very clear, and it's not you. It, it, it's not that you, by your wisdom, you know, kind of got together and decided, well, maybe this is what we should do. Um, you know, and maybe this is how we should handle the situation. No, you are acting not on your own. You are acting on the Lord's authority. It is God working in you and through you, and that's where the focus needs to be. And so, brethren, it's not that, that we get together and we kind of vote and decide what we're going to do with this situation. No, there's some room for judgment. You know, we're going to have to use some personal judgment and what exactly we say, you know, when we reach out to somebody. Um, you know, how we reach out to somebody, how much, how, how many times we reach out to somebody. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's not our wisdom that we're relying upon. And it's certainly not our authority that we're working, uh, that we're relying upon. It's God working in us. It's God working through us. It's his authority, uh, that we are following. You notice in first Corinthians chapter five, 
we see the same concept. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look in verse 4 and 5. First Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse four, Paul writes, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that by his, uh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you notice what the focus was there? <laughs> When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, with the power of the Lord Jesus, this isn't what we are doing on our own wisdom, our own power, our own authority. No, we are simply being vessels of God's judgment. It's it's not our judgment. We're, We're not the judge. But God in his word has given us some responsibility to be vessels of his authority directed by his wisdom uh, and taking action, not, you know, to, to make some personal judgment about what we think about this individual. No, th- this is us being vessels of the Lord's judgment. This is what the Lord has said regarding this sin, regarding this matter. This person has refused to change, even with patience, with genuine love, reaching out to them to try to get them to change. And so, We are declaring what God himself has declared. You know, if we refuse to do this, um, we really put ourselves in a position where we are extending fellowship where God himself, the almighty creator, is not. We don't have the prerogative to do that. We don't have the authority to do that. We need to submit to God's authority to declare what he has declared. And as, as we've said before, this idea of delivering over to Satan, we're, we're really publicly acknowledging not that we have done anything to this person, but that this person, by their decision, by their action, by their response to God's word, has made it clear that they are no longer living in fellowship with God. And we're making that public, publicly evident, right? That they are not living in fellowship with God, but they're living under the control, under the dominion of Satan. Look in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. 2 you have an idea what we might find here? Uh, we've already seen it in these other passages. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. We read, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, literally walking disorderly, and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Here, in the name, in the authority, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Makes it clear later on in verse 14 and 15, the goal here is that they may be ashamed and that that shame may convict them so that they will change. That we continue to warn them and reach out to them as one who we desire to be our brother, as our brother who has strayed. But here it's the Lord. It's his direction. It's his authority. You might say, well, I'm just not sure that that's going to work. You know, if, if we 
uh, kind of pass judgment on this person and tell this person, you know, you're not living in fellowship with God. You can't be in fellowship with us. I'm just afraid that's going to drive them farther away. Well, whose authority are we acting upon? (laughs) Whose wisdom are we acting upon? It's, It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not up to what we think is going to work and what we don't think is going to work. It's following God's direction. It's following God's word in all things. I think we can see from the scriptures that, that keeping the peace in the here and now is not worth the eternal consequences. It is certainly true that in the moment... You know, is declaring somebody not in fellowship with us and not in fellowship with God going to drive them farther away? Of course it is, right? It's acknowledging a breach in relationship there. You think about the language used in each of those passages, keep away from a brother, 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 6. Deliver them unto Satan, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. Regard them as a heathen and a tax collector, Matthew 18 and verse 17. Is that going to make the relationship worse? Well, in the moment it is, of course. We're not just going to pretend like nothing is wrong and maintain that relationship as it is. But the goal is that by recognizing the reality of what's going on here, the reality of where they stand in relationship to God and relationship to his people, that that will convict them to genuinely bring about peace, to genuinely bring them back, to help them come to their senses, even if it takes them hitting rock bottom, so that they might genuinely come back to the Lord and their soul might be saved. Maintaining a relationship where a brother or sister is unwilling to change requires me to minimize the seriousness of their sin. It it means treating our relationship with them as more valuable than the well-being of their eternal soul. And that's not true. That is not the case. We need to be willing to sacrifice the relationship in the here and now in hopes that their eternal soul may be saved. James 5, verse 19 and 20, the verse that we started with uh, today that Jonathan read for us. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If we continue to maintain a social relationship with those who are living in rebellious sin, pretending like everything is okay, uh, we may keep the peace in the here and now, but we are endangering their eternal soul. God's way is best. And if God and his word does not continue to extend fellowship to those who refuse to change, then who are we? to take it upon ourselves to do so. God's way is best. It's not the easiest way. It's not always going to be what we want to do. Sometimes it's going to hurt. Uh, Some may think that it's unloving. But if we do it with the heart of God, with his love, um, with his passion for the well-being of eternal souls, uh, it's the best possible thing we can do. It's the best possible chance they have to come to their senses, to be convicted over their sin, to be reunited with God and with his people um, through repentance.
genuinely be who God wants them to be. And so what about you? Um, What about me? How does the lesson apply to you? Each and every one of us have a responsibility to reach out to the wayward. Remember Galatians 6 and verse 1. If any among you is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That, that means you, at least it should. How are we doing in that? What areas do we need to grow in? We each have a responsibility to reach out with genuine love, with humility and gentleness, with patience, with persistence, and with a firm commitment to the direction of God's word. Do you see an area in that where you may need to grow? I know I do. Um, Don't set down the mirror of God's word today without making some change. That's why we picked it up, isn't it? Without making some application. And if you recognize today that perhaps you are the wayward, um, know that, that there is nothing that would bring us more joy than to help you be restored to the Lord, to help you grow and thrive and be all that God wants you to be. By his power, by his grace, you can change. It may be difficult. Um, and God in his patience is willing uh, to, to uh, give you that, that time as you grow. But, but it's not just time that we're going to do nothing. Uh, expect that if, if you're not where you need to be spiritually, um, we're, we're going to be, we, we need to be doing everything that we can to reach out to you, to help you grow, to help you develop into who God wants you to be as, as you help us to do the same. If there's any area that, that you need to confess your sins before these brethren to ask for, for prayers, uh, to make some, some public act of repentance. What won't you do that now? Um, if, if you need to reach out to somebody privately about something that you're struggling with, do that today. That's why we're here as a body of God's people, as a flock, is to help one another grow. If you need to make some change, please don't wait. And you've ne- if you've never committed your life to the Lord, um, know that God sent his own son, Jesus, to die upon the cross so that you could be cleansed of your sins, so that you could be transformed, so that you can have a hope of eternal life. Are you willing today to confess your faith in Jesus as the Christ, to bury the old man of sin in the waters of baptism? You can be raised to walk in newness of life. If there's any way that we can help you uh, in your relationship with the Lord, won't you please make it known by coming forward as we stand and sing together?